Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I mentioned in the introductory episode that the structure of 2 Corinthians is fairly straightforward. There's a brief introduction followed by three main divisions. In chapters 1 to 7, Paul explains his recent conduct and offers a brief defense of his ministry. In chapters 8 to 9, he calls on them to finish what they've started with respect to the Jerusalem offering. And then finally, in chapters 10 to 13, he vigorously defends his exercise of apostolic authority among them. Obviously then, as we enter chapter 7, we're coming to the end of the first section of the letter. As I've said a few times over the life of this program, the chapter divisions in the Bible are, of course, not inspired. They were added later to assist with reading and referencing, and they are, generally speaking, helpful additions, even if they are not always placed in a logical position, as is the case here. Most commentators handle verse 1 of chapter 7 as really the closing line in the argument developed at the end of chapter 6, and I don't really see how anyone could argue with that. In verses 14 to 18 of chapter 6, Paul is saying, essentially, you people have come to a crossroads. You've been trying to keep one foot in the culture and one foot in the church, and that has to stop, or your church is going to be pulled apart. You need to choose today between a cross-shaped gospel as taught by me or a culture-shaped gospel as taught by my opponents. The latter road leads to exile and darkness, while the former road leads to resurrection and eternal blessing. Now, Read verse 1 of chapter 7, and you will see how logically and seamlessly this all fits together. He says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So, since this road leads to such wonderful blessings, let us shake the dust off our feet from the other road, from the previous road, and let us walk this way, this road, and enjoy these benefits. That's the basic idea being further developed here. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. In verse 1, as I said, Paul is calling on the Corinthians to make the break, to leave the way of the culture, to unhitch from those worldly influences, and to walk with him down the road that leads to life and blessing in Jesus Christ. Paul's worldview is saturated with Old Testament imagery, and so he naturally thinks in terms of this road and that road, as per Psalm 1, and as per the entire book of Proverbs. Now, he was also a Jew, a former Pharisee, so he knew all about dust and defilement. When Jewish pilgrims crossed over from Gentile territory into Jewish territory, they would shake the dust off their sandals. And when they came to the temple compound, they would undress and ritually bathe before making their final approach. 
All of that lies in the background here. Let us cleanse ourselves from that road and let us step singularly into this road. And then in verse 2, and let us walk together. Walk with me, Paul says, for we have wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. Paul explains that he's rebuking their worldly notions of power and leadership, not because he despises them, but because he loves them and he wants them to walk in the way of the master. Remember, Jesus was very concerned for his disciples to understand that leadership in the kingdom of God was going to be very different than leadership out in the world. In Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Close quote. So we don't do it that way. And I know that confuses you, Paul says. But you need to wrap your head around this because following Jesus involves embracing a certain approach to leadership. This is, this is one of those cultural contaminants that you need to brush off your feet in order to truly get on board with the way of Jesus. Now, of course, to say that a leader is humble and to anticipate that he will suffer and to think of him even as a servant is, of course, not to say that he cannot be bold. Of course he can. And of course, I am, Paul says. I am quite bold, aren't I? I'm in your face. I'm setting boundaries for you. I'm expecting progress from you. I admit it. Listen, I'm proud of you. I want the best for you. I want to see you walking and growing as you should. And I'm encouraged to see movement and development on that front. The context suggests that Paul is referring here to the encouragement that he felt by receiving the good report from Titus in terms of their positive response to the severe letter. Paul appears to believe that the Corinthians have turned the corner, so to speak. They've taken that first step. They came to the crossroads. They kind of looked both ways now, and it does kind of look like they've, they've made a decision and they're walking now in the way that they should be. Now, there's still a way to go, and Paul is prepared to use all of his bold leadership to encourage them to carry on in this decision they've come to. Because of that, he says in verse 4, even though I am going through some very trying circumstances, I am filled with joy. Verse 5, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Now, let's just pause briefly here to notice that with this verse, Paul resumes the narrative that he broke off in chapter 2, verse 13. If you wanted to strip out all of the personal appeal and all of the extended reflections and, and just save the chronology, then you could erase everything from 2.14 through to 7.4. And the account, the chronological account, would be seamless. Listen again to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Listen to where Paul is in his personal chronology here, the chronology of, of this story. He says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Close quote. All right. 
Okay, well, that's exactly where we are again here now in chapter 7. Paul was explaining that he was so distressed by the rift between himself and the Corinthians that he could not engage with the opportunity God provided him in Troas. He couldn't concentrate. He couldn't focus on evangelism. He couldn't do anything until he heard back from Titus. So he left Troas and traveled to Macedonia so as to meet up with Titus and find out how his letter had been received. So we get a sense of Paul's humanity here and the emotional toll that this entire conflict has had on him. Listen, church planting is not for the faint of heart. Pastoral ministry of any kind is not for the faint of heart. You know how emotionally taxing family can be, all right? Well, church is a bigger version of the family, and it comes with all the joys, stresses, anxieties, and heartbreak that regular family comes with. There's a saying you've probably heard before, a mother is never happier than her saddest child. Okay, well, so too, a church planter is never happier than his saddest church. So Paul has been like an anxious mother with a prodigal son out there making foolish decisions in the big, bad, fallen world. Verse 6, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. So that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. So here is the turning point. Paul was beside himself with anxiety over the situation in Corinth. He was so distraught that he couldn't even evangelize or preach with any kind of focus or effectiveness. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, Titus, who had been the bearer of the severe letter. Now, in today's world, of course, we just send our letters through the post, or more likely, we send them via email. But in those days, a letter was hand-delivered. And so the messenger's job was to interpret, apply, answer questions, and then carry back a response. He was integral to the entire process. And Titus has now reported that the church had responded favorably to Paul's discipline and demands. They understood the stakes. They repented of their actions. They wished to restore the relationship. And so Paul says, on the one hand, I hated having to send that letter. No Good parent enjoys giving a bare bum spank to a a wayward child, but in certain rare situations, it is called for. But I hated doing it, Paul says. But I am so glad for the way you have responded. I rejoice, not that I made you cry, but that I made you grow. Paul reminds me here a great deal of my dear mother. (laughs) My mother would always cry when she disciplined me, and she's a very small lady, and so she never hurt me nearly as much as she feared she might. But I learned the value of crying myself, because then she would cry, and the whole thing would quickly be over, and there would be great relief on the other side of the experience. And that's what we're seeing here. I did a hard thing, Paul says, but you responded so well that now I am both sad and glad at the same time. (laughs) It was all worth it. Verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. 
For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Mark Seifried says beautifully and efficiently here, through the apostle, God has wounded the Corinthians in order to heal them, closed quote. Yes, and if you're a Bible reader, then you know that this is very much in character for the God of Holy Scripture. God often wounds in order to heal. He wounded Jacob in order to heal him. He wounded Moses in order to heal him. And he wounded the people of Israel as a whole through the experience of defeat and exile in order to heal them of idolatry. And then, of course, climactically, he heals us through the wounds of Jesus Christ upon the cross. As Isaiah 53, 5 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So God often wounds in order to heal. And he has done it again here. The severe letter hurt the Corinthians. It stung them. It wounded them. But thanks be to God, it arrested them. It knocked them down. It made them stop and think. And in that posture, they were brought to the place of real repentance. Paul distinguishes between godly grief that produces repentance that leads to salvation with worldly grief that leads only to death. Godly grief produces an eagerness to set things right. It produces an anger toward yourself for having sinned so egregiously in the first place. It produces a fear of God and an awareness of final judgment. It produces a desire to see injured relationships restored. It produces a zeal for holiness and a commitment to embracing whatever consequences are deemed appropriate. That's godly grief. That's real repentance. Worldly grief, on the other hand, is a whole different thing. That's mostly a sorrow for having been caught. That's a sadness for having to face consequences. If there's any anger there, it tends to be directed towards others. If there's any zeal there, it tends to be focused upon defending yourself and avoiding punishment, blame, and embarrassment. Okay, well, that's an entirely different thing, Paul says. And I'm thankful to observe that you appear to have experienced the genuine article. Thanks be to God. Verse 13. Therefore, we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true, and his affection for you is even greater. As he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. So not only am I comforted, Paul says, I'm also happy to observe the effect this reconciliation has had on Titus. His spirit has been refreshed by your response. His faith in the power of the gospel to transform and reconcile has been strengthened. His love for you and his commitment to the ministry has been deepened. Paul is able to see how this really difficult ordeal has already been used for God's glory 
and for the good of God's people. We forget sometimes how our squabbles and divisions work to discourage young people starting out in ministry. I'm writing this episode in August of 2023, and the big conversation right now in the Evangelical Church has to do with the shortage of pastors being experienced all across the continent. The last of the baby boomers are retiring, and there aren't nearly enough young people graduating from seminary to replace them. Now, the experts tell us that there are many factors accounting for this shortfall. There are demographic issues to consider. There are economic factors to consider. But also, it must be said that the fracturing of the evangelical church and the increasing conflict over secondary and tertiary issues has contributed to this problem. COVID revealed and deepened a number of tribal divisions that have served to discourage younger ministers and younger potential ministers. Our conflicts over COVID mitigation measures, our fights over politics, our fights over shades and degrees of theology, our fights over cultural issues, all of those squabbles and divisions have dampened the zeal of younger Christians, right? I mean, who wants to endure the sacrifices of the ministry if all ministry seems to be is a call to babysit and referee a bunch of spoiled, self-centered, contentious cultural Christians? That's a fair question. So if the church wants to have qualified, committed, and trained pastors in the coming generation, then perhaps they need to take this lesson seriously. Fighting comes at a cost, but reconciliation warms and inspires and encourages. So why not revisit your contention with the pastor across the road? Why not revisit your contention with your family member over politics or COVID responses or who knows what secondary nonsense you've been squabbling about? Why not be reconciled for the sake of your own soul and for the sake of the younger believers watching on? Titus was strengthened and encouraged in his soul as he saw the gospel melting hard hearts and restoring strained relationships. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our young people could observe something similar in our day? Paul has observed the positive fruit of this process, and it has filled his heart with rejoicing. There is work to be done, but the seed of the gospel has begun to find purchase in the hearts of the Corinthians. They are being transformed by one degree of glory to the next into the same image. This is the work of the Spirit in them. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. 
If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the Into the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 